realize that I may not have said two seconds ago where I disappeared over there and came back. My name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge. And it's nice to meet some of you for the first time tonight and see friends and familiar faces. Tonight is the closing of our season finale in the book of Joshua. We've been in this book since the beginning of the year. It's called Forward Living. And uh, I'm excited to close out this series. This series has been so good for me personally. It has challenged me. It has enriched my faith. And I pray for you as well that if you've been with us, you've been on this journey that God has grown your faith. He's encouraged you. He's challenged you. I've never preached through the book of Joshua in a series. I've preached chapters, but it's been so good to be in this book and kind of moving throughout it, even though we're fast-forwarding through some chapters. And so tonight, if you're like, this is my first night, that's okay. We're, you're going to be looking and reading the end of the story, but you can go back on YouTube and you can catch up. Uh, it's all there throughout the week. Just Google Crossbridge Brickle. You can find it there. The other thing I'm going to have to ask uh, our team to do is to give me the soundtrack to that because it does sound, as I said, the very first episode of this series like a Netflix show set in Kentucky. I like the vibe. And so I may get it. If you're interested, come talk to me. We can, you know, we can all have this ringtone that will remind us of Joshua and Kentucky Netflix. That's what it's going to be, right? I also wanted to give a shameless plug uh, to Ash Wednesday service coming up this coming Wednesday. One, because I'm preaching. But secondly, because it's one of my favorite services of the year. Uh, there's two services that I will not miss no matter what. It's Ash Wednesday and it's Good Friday. These are special, special services. I love Easter too, okay? I love Christmas Eve. I love it all, right? But these services are special. They're different. There's a different style and flavor. And maybe you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service before. Maybe you've been uh, in an Ash Wednesday service in the Catholic Church growing up. I can tell you this. If you've never been to a Crossbridge Ash Wednesday service, it's different. And uh, it's special. And there's nothing special about the ashes but there is something special about the focus in the room and the time of worship that we have with our broader family. And so 7 p.m. this Wednesday, leave work early, figure out what you got to do, but get there. It's going to be awesome. So tonight, as I said, we're closing our series, and the title of the sermon is Serve and Taste. And you'll understand why I've titled it that as we move throughout this text. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have the Crossbridge app, click on the notes icon. You can follow along with extra notes as well as the passage. Let me kind of bring us up to speed because if you were with us last week, you know that we were in Joshua 10 and now we're in Joshua 24. Why did we move so fast? So I'm going to explain to you what's happening in these chapters in the middle so you can understand why we fast forwarded to the end and that you can trek with us. So last week, we saw a great miracle happen, and that was that Joshua, as he takes the, the army of God, the Israelites, and he goes to battle against the five Amorite kings. They have come together, five nations in one, to destroy the people of Gideon, which are the new allies of Israel. Joshua goes to fight and defend them, and as this is taking place, God tells Joshua that the victory will be his. They've already been handed into his possession. They will be victorious. So Joshua goes with courage. They battle. And God, as they're fighting at night, causes a confusion and a stir and a panic among the enemies of Joshua. They begin to flee and retreat. And as they're being driven out from the land, there's hailstones falling from the sky. And then Joshua, as the sun is rising, makes this bold declaration in prayer. He says... 
Sun, stand still. That translation in Hebrew can also mean sun, stop shining. And I told you about how what Joshua is doing is he's wanting to ensure that the victory is going to be carried out in the cover of darkness, for that is where they have been battling, but also so that people can clearly see who is bringing the victory, for God is the one that's fighting for Israel. And as he says, sun, stop shining, the sun stopped shining. He commands the moon as well to stop. And I mentioned last week that several years ago, researchers from Cambridge found that the very first solar eclipse that's noticeable happened at the same exact time period that Joshua makes that statement. The very first time that the sun stopped shining. So God brings this great victory. Now, the people of God are going to go on a couple more um, journeys in the other parts of the promised land, and they're going to have another, some other key victories, and they drive out the Canaanite people from the land, and it's time to settle. Chapter 13 through 22 is Joshua dividing the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is important. Every part of scripture is important. Every detail, every genealogy, the dividing of land, it's important. This was important for God's people because this is the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that his descendants would be in the promised land. And so if you're of a tribe, you want to know where your land is, details, boundary lines and all. But if you're reading it, It can be quite difficult to read because it's like reading a map with no pictures. You're reading it and you're like, I have no frame of reference for where this is and and, and what's taking place. And so we push through that to get to the very end where Joshua is aging in years and he gives a farewell speech. 23 and 24 is Joshua's farewell speech. It's his charge to the people. And in Joshua 24, he begins in the first 13 verses to recount who God is and what he's done for them. So it sounds like this. He says, God took us from a foreign land, a land where we worshiped other gods, and he called us to himself to worship him alone. And he took us from that land and brought us to the promised land. He's speaking about Abraham and Sarah. It says that they followed God faithfully. And then from Abraham and Sarah, God raised up Isaac and Rebekah. And then Jacob and Esau and the 12 tribes of Israel come from that family. But then they went down into Egypt. And Egypt enslaved God's people. And they held them in captivity for hundreds of years. And they cried out. But God raised up a deliverer. And someone alongside of him named Moses and Aaron. And God used them to free his people from captivity and oppression from Pharaoh. He led them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness where God's people wandered for 40 years. And Joshua is saying to these people, you remember that, that your grandparents and parents were the ones in the wilderness, but now we are here in the promised land. We crossed over the Jordan. You remember Jericho, how God brought down the walls and he gave us victory. You remember the battle at Ai. You remember Gideon where the sun stood still. God has been faithful. He has been good. He has been fighting for us. This is who God is. And then he says this, which is our text tonight. Verse 14 and 15 of Joshua 24. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, that foreign land from where they come, or the gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites, in whose land you dwell. A very famous statement by Joshua now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua's charge to God's people is remember who God is. Remember what he's done, his faithfulness, his goodness through generation upon generation. And we are here in the promised land. And I want to tell you this. Serve God alone. Don't go serve the false gods from beyond the river. Don't serve the gods of Egypt. Don't serve the Canaanite and Amorite gods. Serve God alone. And he makes this statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people respond, yes, yes, Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. We got it. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve him alone. We're going to listen to him alone. And then Joshua says, I, I want to make it clear. God doesn't play seconds. It's serve him only. It's serve him alone. It can't be second. It can't be third. And Joshua gives this warning. He says, if you serve God, you will dwell in the land. You will flourish in the land, for this is the land that he has given you. But if you go serve false gods of other nations, you will lose the land and you will go into exile. For if you serve gods that are of neighboring countries or of other places, these false gods, and you want them to rule over your culture and over your land, well, God will allow it to happen and you will go into exile. Serve God only. And the people are like, no, 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 Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. We're going to serve God. Promise. Why would we not? Look what God's done. Look who he is. We're not going to serve the false gods of Egypt or beyond the river or the Canaanites or Amorites. We're not going to serve those gods. We're going to serve God only. And then Joshua says, incline your heart to God. Give your heart to him. Serve him. And then they respond in verse 24 with these words. And the people said to Joshua, notice, the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. This is emphasis time and time again from Joshua. Serve God alone. Serve God alone. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Are you going to serve the Lord? Yes, yes, yes. He doesn't, God doesn't play seconds. Don't worry. We're going to serve God. We're going to only listen to his voice. This is how the book of Joshua ends. There's this looming question for the reader, which is, what is Israel going to do? I mean, they've been emphatic. They're going to serve God. They're hearing Joshua's words. What are they going to do? Before I answer that question, I want to talk about the emphasis here. There's an emphasis on serving, serving God alone. He's, Joshua has said it several times. Now, there's a connection between serving and the first commandment. In the book of Joshua, Joshua's constantly talking about Moses, the leader of God's people before him. And he's talking about the covenant that God made with Moses and the Ten Commandments. There's obviously a connection between serving God only and the very first commandment, which is that you should have no other gods before the one true God. There's also a connection for us in our vantage point between what Jesus says when he is asked by the religious leaders, what's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? Love God, 
with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's this connection between these things. It's about making God primary, making him first. He's not second, he's not third, he's first, he's supreme. But why the emphasis on serving? Serving God. Joshua could have used other words that are connected to the same principle, the same statement and charge. He could have said praise God or worship God or surrender to God. He could have said love God, like Jesus said. But he says serve God. Is it just Joshua's favorite verb of the day? I think there's more to that. I think Joshua chose this word intentionally. The words in Scripture are intentional. It's not by accident or happenstance. So Joshua emphasizes time and time again in his farewell speech that they need to serve God alone. Why? Because Joshua knows of the influence that is pressing in on Israel. The influence that is squeezing in on God's people. And that's the Canaanites. See, they've been driven from the land, but they're not far. And they're not going to give up their land lightly. See, they, they were unable to fight and battle against Israel and win. But as we will see in time and in history, they will find other ways to get into the culture, to assert their influence and their spiritual practices and their beliefs. And Joshua knows that the Canaanites are going to try to get in and come back to that land that they had settled in before they were driven out. And Joshua also knows that in Canaanite culture, there's an emphasis on serving. In particular, serving their gods. The Canaanites were pagan polytheistic people. They worshipped many gods, but they had one supreme god that was kind of above all of them. And that god's name was Baal. Had different iterations, but Baal was the sun god or the storm god. And the way that you would worship Baal or some of their other gods as well was by serving them in ways that are horrific and are destructive to people, to families, and to society. The two primary ways that you would be commanded to serve these false gods was through illicit sex, temple prostitution, and the second was through child sacrifice. You can see why... God tells Joshua to drive out this culture from the land. The Canaanites would assert this pressure to serve God in these ways and other destructive ways as they're trying to creep back in. And so Joshua says, serve God alone. Don't serve the Canaanites. Don't serve the Baals. Don't serve the Asherahs. Don't serve these other false gods that are going to press in around you. I'm not here forever. I'm not going to be leading forever. He pushes it down deep. And they're responding, yes, yes, we know, we know, we know. We're going to serve God only. We're going to listen to his voice. You see, sometimes when you hear things like this with thousands of years removed for us from the story and from the events, we think, it's God, it's just so simple for them. Don't go to the temples. Don't engage in these horrific practices. It's pretty black and white. Don't allow these things to come into the culture to be influential in the marketplace or in the, in the homes or in the spiritual practice. I mean, it's pretty clear. Like, these are horrific things. Just don't do it. Just serve God. Don't go to those little statues. 
sometimes we can have this inflated view or this very simplistic view of how simple it was to just not serve false gods, not feel the pressure of these other cultures squeezing in around them. For there was all types of things that were promised, benefits that people would have seen from these cultures that would have been monetary benefits or reputation or power or influence. Deception and temptation is tricky like that. And it was tricky then too. It's crafty. If you want to think about the false gods of today that tempt you and deceive you, it's not always black and white. It's hard to distinguish at times. The cultural narratives and the deceptions and lies of our culture and and how they want to squeeze you out and how they want to pressure you. And it's not always so easy to determine whether or not you're worshiping a false god or whether or not you're rejecting that false god because the nature of deception and the nature of temptation is not always this black and white. It's a slow squeeze, slowly squeezing around them until you wake up on the floor and realize you got choked out. That's what deception is like. That's what temptation was like. It's the same for God's people. The Canaanites were slowly squeezing, slowly deceiving, bringing their influence and their practices into different parts of their culture. And Joshua is warning them, serve God only. See, I wrote this as I was thinking about deception and temptation this week. It's hit home for me. I think that this is the nature of deception and temptation. It's small compromises that lead to softened convictions resulting in catastrophic consequences. It's small compromises that lead to a softened conviction, ultimately leading to catastrophic consequences. And you see this, right? You can see people that on the outside look like they're serving God or they're really good people and they're making all the right decisions and they're a person that's a role model and a person of honor. And all of a sudden, something comes out about what they've been doing in the dark. A moral failure. Happens in pastoral ministry too. Happens in every sphere of the church and in the world. You're like, how did that happen? I tell you what, it didn't happen on one night. It's not just one bad decision and one night of weakness. It's small compromises that lead to softened convictions leading to catastrophic results. So this is kind of over God's people as Joshua is charging them. Don't get choked out by the deceptions of the Canaanites. Don't allow them to subtly squeeze upon you. Serve God only. Only listen to his voice. The very next book after Joshua is the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, it says this in the very beginning. It says that the people of God, the Israelites, served God alone, they served him faithfully all the years that Joshua was alive. Right, they did it. They were faithful, they served him. But then, in Judges chapter two, it says this. Immediately after Joshua dies, we read the following. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals. Immediately after Joshua dies, they go to serve those false gods. Now, when Joshua died, was it just like, 
okay, you're, Joshua's gone, let's just go serve the Baals just one second. No, 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 no. It was that small squeeze. It was that pressure, the deception that had been influencing small compromises, softened convictions, leading to catastrophic results. They go serve the Baals after Joshua dies. There's many things that we could say about their deception and the temptation and their failing and falling to not serve God alone and to put him last, really, and to serve these false gods. But I want to focus on one thing, and I think this is a word that is for every generation and for every person in this room, including myself, and it, it's, it's a point and a lesson that is revolving around a question, and that's this. Who are you faithful to? Who are you faithful to? Because who you serve reveals who you're faithful to. Service and faithfulness go hand in hand. I want you to consider the best employees. The best employees are people that are faithful to the vision of the company, and they serve that vision, not their paycheck alone. Those are the best employees. The best friends are people that are faithful to the other. They want to serve the flourishing of the other. They're not in the friendship just to have their own personal needs met. The best marriages are when you're serving the spouse. You're faithful to the vows you made in the spouse, to your spouse. It's not about your own needs being fulfilled. It's about serving the needs of the other. Who you serve reveals who you are faithful to. It reveals who you are faithful to. Now we read in Judges chapter 2 that when Joshua died, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals. Who were the Israelites faithful to? You have a guess? Joshua. Notice in the very end of Joshua 24 when they speak about what they're going to do. We're going to serve God alone. We're going to listen to his voice. Who did they speak to? Joshua. And when Joshua dies, they're open to serve someone or something else. Their faithfulness was to Joshua, their respected and honored leader. Of course, Joshua, charge us, tell us what to do. We're going to follow your lead. And all the days that Joshua was alive, they were faithful. But when Joshua died, they went to go serve someone that offered something else. Another type of protection or influence or benefit. You see, the charge that Joshua gives to Israel is the same charge that we should receive. Stem, stemming from that question, who you are faithful to, and we should be able to be people that can say with a straight face, born out in our actions, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, for we are faithful to the Lord. I am faithful to God. I serve God. There's other temptations and deceptions that are squeezing on me but I'm faithful to him, and I'm serving him. So you have to allow this to, to push deep. Just as Joshua pushes it multiple times, multiple times, we need to do that too. We need to allow this to search us and to test us and to challenge us. What is really driving our service to God? Let me just put it this way. Why are you here tonight? You don't have to answer out loud. But it should be because you're faithful to God. You want to serve him. You want to worship him. You want him to challenge you. You want him to grow you. And you have the blessing of being with God's people there too. 
What is driving your service to God? Because here's something that is true. You can appear on the outside like you're faithful to God when in reality you're faithful to someone or something else. You can serve God and it appears like you're serving God, but you're really serving someone or something else. You can be in pastoral ministry. You can be in leadership in the church. You can be on every single team. You can do a million things and appear a certain way, but be serving someone else. The expectations of another the expectations of a spouse or a parent or a friend, mentor or a coach or a pastor. Who are you faithful to? You know, the parents in this room know this, that so much of your prayer and your time with your kids as you have them at home is to teach them the word, to pray for them, and to give them the freedom to discover their own faith. You want them to wrestle through those hard questions of faith, to wrestle through their doubts when they're at home, and you want them to discover their love for God on their own without compulsion, that they don't choose God because mom and dad expect for them to, or their youth pastor expects for them to. But what so many of us know and what we pray against is that it can be easy for children to appear like they're serving God and to really be serving the expectations of their parents or of their youth pastor. And then they go to college and what happens when those people are removed from the equation? They find someone or something else to serve. It can be easy to serve the expectations of others instead of to be truly serving the Lord. So we have to allow this, as, as difficult as it may be, to pierce deep in our heart. To say, God, am I serving you alone? Is there someone that I've put ahead of you? I know you don't play seconds. This day I'm going to choose. Am I serving you? Is my house serving you? Am I faithful to you? Or is it someone or something else that's subtly squeezing at me and there's these small convictions and softened compromise, or small compromises and softened convictions that are going to lead to catastrophic results and consequences, God, let me get my house in order. Let me get my faith in order. Let me come to you and say, God, I, I want to be faithful to you alone. And let me tell you this. The reason that Joshua is pushing this and the reason that I'm bringing this up for us to wrestle with tonight, even as challenging as it may be, is because to not serve the Lord as primary to not serve him with everything that you have, to not give him your, your allegiance and to be faithful to him alone is to miss out on the beauty that, is, that comes alongside of serving God alone. I call it the serve blessing. See, God is worthy of your attention and your worship and your devotion and everything you have because he's the creator of the universe. There is no one more valuable than God and so he's deserving of your praise and your service. But God is so good and he's so gracious that when you serve him, there's a blessing that is associated with that. And to not serve him alone is to miss out on experiencing that blessing. Notice here in the text that Joshua connects serving God with the land. If you serve God, you will flourish in the land. You will be in harmony with his people. You will enjoy what is before you. But if you serve false gods, you'll be exiled from the land. See, Joshua is making a connection here that 
between serving God and what you experience in the moment. What your experience is like in the moment. When you serve God alone, you listen to his voice above all others. You are faithful to him as the superior one of your life. There's real blessing. And when you don't, there's real consequences. It's real difficulty. I know that in this room we understand the difference between Cheesecake Factory and Stubborn Seed and Boyade, right? If you don't know what Stubborn Seed and Boyade are, they are Michelin star restaurants here in Miami. The only stars at Cheesecake Factory are on the ceiling. There's a big difference between these two restaurants, right? Or high-end restaurants and Cheesecake Factory. No shade at Cheesecake Factory. You can go there, you can tour the world on their menu and go home with food for the next five days. But there's a big difference, right? The quality of food, big difference. The price, big difference. The attire that you wear, big difference. The menus, Cheesecake Factory is unbelievable. It's like a laminated novel. It's unbelievable what's in there. Advertisements, all types of stuff. You go to like Stubborn Seed and it's a menu made every day by the chef. You don't even want to touch it because the paper feels too expensive. You know, you're like, why? Is this papyrus? I don't even know. What is this? The bathrooms are different. Have you ever noticed that? You go to a nice restaurant in the bathroom, you're like, whoa, who did this? It's like, like, this, like I went to this one, there's like books on the ceiling. I'm like, what's going on here? It's kind of cool. Big difference. And what that leads to is a different experience. There's a different experience between Cheesecake Factory and Stubborn Seed or Boya Day. And I, I think it boils down to they serve two different functions. You go to Cheesecake Factory to eat, right? You go there to eat. You want the portions. You want the whole thing. You go to high-end restaurants to taste, to taste smaller portions, curated, eating versus tasting. This is the difference between serving God alone and serving false gods. One invites you to taste, the other just wants you to eat. But the irony is that the one that invites you to eat may promise that you'll taste something good, but you walk away empty. And you know this. Every one of us in this room knows this. If you've compromised something, if you've made a decision that you know you shouldn't have, if you were subtly squeezed by something that deceived you, and you fell into that temptation, I know how you feel after. You don't feel good. You feel empty. You feel regret. I'm not trying to throw shade on cheesecake here, okay? Let's go with the illustration, right? But you feel unsatisfied. But God invites you to taste. Invites you to taste that he is good. In fact, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. This is the blessing of serving God. When you serve God alone, when he is primary, when he gets your soul focus and attention and he is, you are the, he is the one that you are faithful to above all others, you taste of his goodness. You taste 
of his love and his grace. In fact, when Joshua charges the people to serve God and he tells them that they'll live in harmony in the land and that this land will be theirs, before they even settle the land, their vision of the land that God is going to give them was that it was land flowing with milk and honey. Now, just in case you ever thought this, there were no rivers full of milk or honey, okay? Not there in Israel, so don't be disappointed if you go there. But it's imagery to bring up the sweetness of the land, that when you're in the land and when you're serving God alone, you're going to taste something that is sweet and beautiful. See, Joshua's charge is to a collective group of people. If you serve God alone, you will individually and collectively taste the sweetness of God's goodness in your life and in the life of the community. That's the serve blessing. And friends, I hope you hear this. We are here not to eat, but to taste of God's goodness. Here's the difference between people that are eating and people that are tasting. Eating is consumeristic, individual-focused, commitment-lacking people pursuing the filling of their appetites with whatever seems good in the moment. Tasting is expectant, community-focused, committed people pursuing the taste of God's goodness through serving Him and listening to His voice alone. The difference between eating and tasting. And God invites you to taste. I know some of us have been reading, and if you haven't, I want to encourage you to Google it. Uh, For the past, I think, 11 or 12 days now in Asbury, Kentucky, uh, there's a spontaneous revival that broke out at a college there, Asbury University. It was a normal chapel service that just never ended. There was no strategic planning. There was nothing behind the scenes. There's no performances. There's no one famous there. It's just students led by the younger generation that want to seek the presence of God. They want to taste his goodness. They want to serve him. They want to make him primary. And it's still going today, almost two weeks, 24 hours a day. People from all over the country and the world are coming just to be in the room for an hour. And here's what it is. Simple devotion. There's nothing spectacular what's happening in the room. It is people praising God, praying for one another, pursuing God with simple faith. Saying, God, we just want to taste your goodness. And people are being healed. People are finding community. People are taking that and going to other colleges where it's spreading now and other churches. Because there's a blessing when you serve God. When you make him primary. When you're faithful to him. And it's that you taste his goodness. You taste his forgiveness. The gospel becomes something that you experience more than just you know in your head. This is the goodness and the blessing of God. So I want to close tonight giving you all a charge, just as Joshua did to the people of his day. And this charge is not from my words. It's from the Apostle Paul. As he gives this charge to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12. And I pray that you would receive this and know that this is God inviting you to make him primary, to to be faithful to him, and to serve him. And this is what it looks like. 
This is what it looks like to not be squeezed out from our culture, to be deceived from our culture, and to practice and to pursue the things of God that he invites us to by his grace. Not because we're earning anything, but because we want to respond to God's goodness because of what he has done for us. And so will you close your eyes?